This is the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast, episode 18. Here we go. What's up, everyone? This is Blake and Peter, and welcome back to the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast, the podcast that empowers aspiring leaders to identify, connect to, and advance on the path of leadership. So today we are having another guest to the podcast, and I love hearing from other people because leadership is not so one-dimensional. I love seeing and hearing different perspectives, especially when it comes on how to get permission-based leadership instead of positional-based leadership. So today we are having Paul Jefferson on the podcast, and Paul is practicing partner at McNeely Law. Um, And if I get any of this wrong, Paul, just tell me. Uh, He has been a lawyer for how long? Long you've been a lawyer? Since two thousand two. So two thousand two. Dang. So for nineteen years, and I have had the pleasure to get to know Paul from my time in a business group uh, called the I Team. And I connected to Paul pretty quick. I feel like we kind of have some similar background, um, just with. Um, honestly, even going into ministry type of things and then being like, no, that's not it. Right. And um, then basically knowing that we would get kicked out of those scenarios now at this point. So, yeah, um, I kind of thought I was a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really and cool. There's another one. So that's good. <laughs> I'm, was, I'm, I'm a third. I was in ministry for close oh, to 10 wow. years as well. Yeah. So it was super cool just getting to know Paul. Um, I feel like we connected real quick. We had, um, you know, I, the thing I think I connected to with you, Paul, is just your creativity, but yet like practicality and that you love doing things different, um, not necessarily for the sake of being different, but because you think it needs to be done differently. And I, I will say just this values-based focus. Um, like I, it was one of the biggest surprises to me is when you and I started connecting over Brene Brown which was like, wait, so you're a lawyer, right? Like you're, you're talking about Brene Brown. Yeah. And like, to me, sometimes I have these like mindsets where things are at odds with one another. And that was one for me that I was like, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. So Brene Brown and your law firm, and you want your law firm to line up with these kind of mentalities. So I thought that was super awesome. Uh, I'm sure we'll get more into that. But anyway, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on here today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I'm a bit of a Brene Brown fangirl, so um, <laughs> you know I, I love her stuff, and I love, I, I mean, on the topic of leadership, vulnerability. I mean, if you look at mm. the people who've led throughout history, the mm. ones that we think of every day, particularly like on Sundays or religious holidays, no matter your faith, they tend to be pretty vulnerable people, and they're yeah, the ones who change true. the world. So, yeah, um, you know, it's just interesting to look at regardless of what your faith tradition is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Well, let's uh, get things kicked off here. First off, if you would just give us, and I know I gave a little bit of a synopsis, but if you could tell us about like what you do, what your work is, and I guess maybe what makes you even different. Sure. I, so I, I went to law school when I was 
started when I was 28, um, graduated, clerked at the Indiana Supreme Court for two years, worked at a large law firm, the largest one in Indiana, became an equity partner there. Wow. Went to work for a client um, that didn't work out in, in part because he went to prison um, because oh, I figured fun. out he was, he was uh, taking some money from the company. Um, and now I, I'm a managing partner at McNeely Law. We've got 25 lawyers. I, I do mostly litigation, but really, I just believe strongly in relationships and solving problems. And every lawyer, you know, if you hire a lawyer, you've got a problem to be solved. And I love mm-hmm. getting to know my clients and their businesses and their personal lives and figuring out what problems. And frankly, I get flattered when they trust me to help solve them. And um, those are the relationships that kind of drive me and that I hope you know, we impart and drive our team. So, um, you know, I've done everything from represent fortune five companies, uh, to individuals. Um, I've had a case that went up to the U S Supreme court. Um, you know, I, I write, I do homework for a living. So (laughs) so it's all, all sorts of stuff, but it's great. So you, you mentioned you're a managing partner and you've got, you know, I think you said 25, lawyers is that would that be what you consider your team or how would you define your team specifically well i specifically am hands-on with litigators in the indianapolis office so my team is probably about 12 people but then i get to take part in kind of big picture discussions for the firm as a whole so another partner of mine cindy bedrick uh, works in our other office where there's more people and more and all our support staff so she kind of manages the people who manage that piece but Hmm we kind of divide up where I'm more of the big picture person and she's more of the executor. So, um, yeah, that's how our roles fall. Cool. So one thing I love about connecting with you and we've connected on so many other personal levels too, but I love how much of a story guy you are and experience guy. And, um, (laughs) I think you and I've even been talking about getting tattoos together of like, the bison that runs into the storm kind of mentality because like so much of our experiences that we've had to deal with is literally that. Um, so with leadership specifically, what's your story to becoming a leader? Like, how did you walk into that place? Like even a minute ago, uh, I love that you, before we even got on here, you were like, Hey, all my leadership is not like I read this book. Like you mentioned five levels of leadership and I'm sure they're there, but I don't, I don't know what they are. So, I just, I I constantly put myself in weird situations that I'm not sure how they're going to go. And then I just pay attention to them. And so Mm -hmm. I had a job one summer when I was in college where I had to ask people for money. And I learned really quick that if you didn't do it from a place of conviction and and belief, like if you didn't line yourself up with that request and you looked down at your shoes and made the ask, nobody was going to say yes. But if you did look them in the eye and believe what you were saying, yeah. People would almost always say yes. And then I just learned, you know, young, when I, I would throw out ideas in these kind of group projects or things, and then I'd be shocked when people actually did them. <laughs> and I'm like, Do you, you know, that was kind of off the cuff. And I, I realized that without trying, I was kind of steering some ships. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, well, that comes with a responsibility to do it right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's kind of through those trial and error things, which has kind of led me to my 
kind of my core belief, which is that you have to do this from your values as a person. Mm -hmm. You can't go chasing things. If you're not operating and functioning from the things that really matter, then it's not going to be effective. And, and that process is frankly lifelong and you'll probably still not fully comprehend it, Mm -hmm. but people who try succeed amazingly well in my experience and people who don't walk that road at all tend to flounder. And so, you know, that that's kind of how that all happened. Um, just trial and error and lots of mistakes along the way. But yeah. yeah. Have you always felt like a leader or has this been something you feel like you've grown into? You know, I, honestly, Blake, I feel like I've had to claim my power as a person, figure out, you know, what it is. But um, I, I've had to find mine and own it. Yeah. And I think everybody has to walk that. And I love helping people along that journey at times. I love helping organizations along that journey. And I, I try to do it by focusing on the things that matter instead of the things that don't. I ask mm-hmm. why a lot yeah. to my friends, to my clients. Um, you know, why do you want to do that? What's motivating you? Mm-hmm. What's the goal? What's the outcome? And kind of just trying to pare it down to those things that really count. Yeah, you're super good at that. I always feel like when you and I get together, I always walk out like really being heard. Like I, I would say that about you. I always feel like I'm heard because you're always trying to dig into the bigger picture of what's going on. And, um, and just like, yes, you're our lawyer, but even as a friend, like I love being able to walk away from those conversations, having been heard. Um, thanks. That's a huge compliment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so what have been hurdles along your path? I mean, you mentioned like coming to your own, but like, what have been those hurdles that you feel like you've had to overcome? When, when I've not tried to operate from my values, when I found something shiny and tried to chase it, um, it's never worked out well. Um, Is that easy for you to do? You know, it gets easier. It's easier for me to go chase them. I, I joke sometimes that I'm, I'm tremendously fortunate in the gifts that I've been given. Mm. But with that kind of comes a little bit of a curse or responsibility in that I have to be careful not to go chasing things and trying to make my own luck. Um, and, and, you know, for example, I spent a lot of time becoming an equity partner at a law firm. It cost me my marriage. It cost me some friendships because I just didn't have time for anything else. I, I worked 80 hour weeks for 10 years. Um, and that comes at a cost. And then yeah. when I got there, I realized, eh, you know, like I thought this was the brass ring, but yeah. it's really really doesn't mean a lot to me. Um, I mean, it was great, but it wasn't what I thought it would be. And so now I try to pay attention to kind of those things in life. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? What, what is the goal here and how does it line up with who I am? And is it coming from my truth or is it what some sort of external evaluate, you know, validation? I mean, you Mm -hmm. could use the word ego, you could use whatever word you want, but separating it out from that is really important. And you know, you can always tell when you're doing the right thing because it feels easy, even if it's hard. Yeah. Um, if you're doing the wrong thing, it could be easy and it feels hard. <laughs> and, and you know, those things just really matter. Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. So were there, along your path, are, are there any, like, recurring fears or things that pop up or themes Um that maybe even kept you from success at times and whatever you define success as not like fear is such general. a funny thing. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
but fear is, is funny in that sometimes we're afraid to succeed because mm-hmm. if you have that insecurity of people are going to see who I really am if I get yeah. to that place. Like, yeah. if we're honest with ourselves, that probably exists in every one of us. Yeah. And our motivation to cover that up causes us and has caused me to do really stupid things, you know? Yeah. And, and specifically, you know, I used to think I mattered because of the dollar amount of clothes on my body when I left my house in the morning. And the truth yeah. of the matter is that means nothing. Yeah. Right. Um, and I had to learn the hard way. It meant nothing because I had to lose it all to get there. So, wow. um, but you know, then when you find happiness without all the stuff you thought that mattered, it's profound. And, you know, if I could wish anything on the young people I work with or my own children, it's to save them from that journey, Mm. the difficult way. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. good. So the real quick, just something that's like right there, this, um, it's interesting because the vulnerability is that thing that like early on in this conversation, it's like, man, vulnerability is what it's about. And I'm, I echo the same thing. Like we need to be vulnerable. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be transparent with one another. But then it is that fear of vulnerability, not just in our like mistakes, but in our successes or in our failures that we still like, it's the big temptation is vulnerability is the thing, but I'm tempted to hide it, but expect it from my team too well, at the same time. It's And it's also, it's a tightrope, right? Cause there's mm-hmm. two sides to it. We've all met that overshare. I've probably been that overshare. I mean, <laughs> same here. And so, and it's like, wow, I did all these people all just walk out. away. But, you know, it's not really vulnerable if you tell them everything. Right. Um, and so it's finding that tightrope of, you know, am I operating from my values in this particular moment? You know, and, and mine are, are honesty and love and integrity. And so am I doing the honest and and loving and integrity filled thing in this moment. And I mess up every day and, and I succeed a lot of them too. And so, and then just reflecting on that, like how do those things feel? And that's where the real vulnerability is, is, Mm -hmm. is just sitting in it. Right. Like the uncertainty and, and knowing it's okay, no matter what, because you did the things you did because of who you are. Yeah. So as you're talking about passing this on to your to your kids and and to your team, how do you practically in your day to day, how do you inspire them, the team that you work with or your children or other people to lead in the way that you're talking about in this vulnerable way, finding that tightrope tightrope balance? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to do it, right? Mm. You can't just talk about it. And yeah. so, um, you know, I mean, a quick story I, I had an associate who just wasn't getting something done. And I was sending email after email and starting to get a little frustrated that it wasn't happening. And finally, I just drove out to talk to her. And I'm like, I sat in her office and I said, I've got 15 minutes, but I need to know what's standing in between you and this project. Is it me? Hmm. Is it something going on in your personal life? Is it something else? And she just burst into tears and talked about how she was just overwhelmed with stuff and um, and she didn't burst, but her eyes got wet. Sure. Yeah. And, and so it's like, I couldn't have had that conversation on the phone and I couldn't have had that conversation, you know, and I didn't want to spend 45 minutes each way that day. I had other things I'd rather do, but it's the best time I spent that day. So those sorts of things, you know, Brene Brown has runs this great business where 
she's basically adopted this language to be able to have conversations where you cut through all the, the wind up. Right. So mm-hmm. she calls it a rumble, like, you know, Hey Blake, we got to have a rumble. Cause I noticed you picked up your papers in a really angry way after that meeting. Mm-hmm. I can say that in two sentences or three sentences, which in most businesses that I've been in would take an hour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and, true. and it's, that's the cultural piece and that's where the values line up with the people in the organization. And so making sure those things happen, you know, our law firm, it's courage and practicality. And so trying to have conversations like, how does this move the ball forward? How is this not the easy way, but the right way? Um, You know, those sorts of conversations as you train people, as you talk to people, as you be there for people, you know, and clients, that's how it it all happens. So, Oh, that's so good. So the thing I, I really want to pull out of every one of these things is what is one mindset that you believe every leader should know of, that they should practice, that they need to be about? And maybe we've already said it a couple of times, but what is your one thing that you're like, every leader needs this and they need to know this? Every leader needs to know their values. If you don't, mm-hmm. you're going to flounder. And, and that's an easy sentence. It's a hard way of living. You know, I mean, it's, it's taking the time to pull the things out of your life that don't relate to them, even though they might be shiny and pretty and amazing at times, if they don't line up with who you are and who you want to be, they can't be part of it. You need to bring them in or get rid of them. And that's a tough job. And, you know, Mark Manson, who's one of my favorite authors says that your struggles define your life. And that's because that's, that's what that process is. You, you got to get rid of the things that, that don't matter and keep the things that do. And those, those, that's hard sometimes. Yeah. Holy crap, dude. So, um, I think what's so good about that, cause I, I think that statement that that's what every per or every leader needs. I think it's also true that that's what every person needs to know. Right. Right. Like the fact that, like going in and and coming to work for McNeely Law, you know why it's so good to know your values is because you get to find out really quick if you're going to be a fit or right. like any leader who's going to be in your organization. If they don't have those values, then it's just not a fit. So it is such a good thing to know about yourself so that you don't get five, six years into an organization that for the last three, you were just there be, and knew it wasn't a fit. Right. Like, Right. And just get there quick. It's almost that same rumble mentality, right? Like just get to it really quick. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you know, time is precious. I mean, it really is. And, and every leader has to understand that at some point and every leader at some point has to make a decision. Like, and sometimes those decisions become ones where values clash Mm -hmm. and, and you've got to know which ones are more important in that situation. And yeah, and you can't fall away then. You have to do it. And sometimes the worst decision is no decision. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I mean, are your values there that you talk about? Um, are all the values that you have the exact same weight of value? Or is there one value of your all your values that you're like, hey, this one's permission to play. This one, like, you can grow in. But, like, like do you have anything like that? Well, I mean... They, they all kind of do overlap, but sometimes, sometimes they clash, right? Like mm-hmm. let's take it on a personal level. 
sometimes it's not a loving conversation to have a, an integrity filled or honest conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I mean, does my butt look big in these pants? Right. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and so you, you've, but you know, on a bigger level. And so you've got to kind of sort through that. And sometimes that becomes really difficult. Right. And, and so you do have to kind of have internal barometers as to which ones matter more, Mm. but you also, it's situation dependent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to do the most courageous thing for my clients. If the downside is it could potentially cost them a million dollars in a loss. So, um, that's where practicality should probably trump. And I should swallow my ego and say, I could win this lawsuit probably, but the better option for you is to settle it. Yeah. So, yeah, you've been really good at that for us too. Like (laughs) I love, there have been times that you've been like, like, are you just pissed off right now? And you just want to win this or is this really what's best? And I'm just like, damn it, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> of course well, you're right. Like, right. but, um, Nobody... but that is helpful because I go to bed thinking about those things at night and thinking, yeah, he's right. I'm just pissed. I just, well, I just want to be right here. A lot of people have stood on a pile of ashes out of principle. Right. So mm. um, <laughs> well said, man, that's so true. Damn. Uh, All right. Well, I'm getting that tattooed across my chest. That's right. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. So what do you think the hardest thing is? Because you're an introspective person. Like you really look through things personally. What do you think is the hardest thing is about being a leader? Again, it's it's getting to that place where you just know yourself. You know Mm -hmm. what makes you tick. And then surrounding yourself with people who line up with that, right? I mean – I'm in such a lucky spot that most of my clients, you know, most of them, we share similar values. I like spending time with them. I like, you know, having conversations and helping guide their decisions and they help guide mine at times. And it's that give and take. And and I have a, you know, a weird work-life balance view where I just want it all to be something I love. So then I don't have to worry about it. And so, um, so, you know, I, I, but getting to that place of figuring out who you are versus who you tried to be or who someone told you you were or, you know, really what your truth is, mm-hmm. it's not an easy sh- and it's not a quick experience. It's a lifelong thing and it requires effort, not an effort in, in the I'm going to go to the gym and lift weights, but like wow, I got to make this really hard call in this work relationship, in this personal relationship, in this thing I really want to buy, but I probably shouldn't, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, those, those are hard things. And yeah. every day we get opportunities to practice and we can learn a lot from the times we fail and we can learn a lot from the times we succeed, but you got to pay attention. No, for sure. And that's so good, being attentive. Cause you're, you're right. Like, like I was even listening to some YouTube video or whatever, um, where this, this lady was talking about like one of our biggest problems going through storms and going through the wilderness is that we don't pay attention and right. that we don't, we don't learn and we don't study our wilderness and our storm. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how during the cotton or the, the dust bowl in the 1920s, how 
like cotton was this thing that was being planted and it was destroying the soil so much that like not, it took all the nutrients out of the soil. Nothing was able to grow. But then there was, um, who's the peanut guy? Uh, the guy. Carver, George Washington. Yeah, George Washington yeah. Carver studied what could go in these places. And he studied so that we didn't make these same mistakes over and over. Right. And he was in the storm. He was in the right. midst of it. Yeah. And yet he studied his storm and then came out of it, you know, much better. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times we get in, you know, we're really good at looking back on things and seeing how they were. But sometimes the art of looking forward and seeing where it's going to go and yeah. recognizing what I sometimes just call the sacredness of what will be um, like, you know, I mean, you know, I love like and you're you're one of these clients where you're at an exciting time in your development and, you know, kind of celebrating that and acknowledging it and and dreaming about it and then yeah. figuring out, you know, which parts of the dream relate to who we are and which parts are shiny things we don't really want. And yeah. Yeah. like that, that process is, is messy and it's yeah. not easy, but it's so valuable. Yeah. yeah that's for sure. That's really good. You've mentioned Benet Brown a couple times today. Do you have a, uh, do you have a favorite uh, book or resource that you would recommend for people as they're listening, something that would help them get started on this path or encourage them as they continue to walk down the path of leadership? I think my favorite one is the one that she's coming out with at the end of this month, which is an atlas to human connection, even though I haven't read it yet and don't know anything about it. But, but, that is um, amazing. But I, I did take her Dare to Lead seminar. Um, yeah which is, is a book by the same name. And it's basically about vulnerability and values and leadership. And um, that course is, is, has been valuable to me. Um, and, and, you know, I just find her work, she combines this feel good part of sociology with a statistical part of sociology. In other words, yeah. it's replicable mm. and it's uh, repeatable and it's sustainable in a way that, you know, you can read a lot of things that make you feel good, but you don't really know what to do about them. Uh, and she kind of bridges that gap in, in a way that makes it look simple, but I'm sure isn't. And so that's kind of why I, I really appreciate her work and what she's she's put together. So. Yeah, I'm going to have to look up that book that you know nothing about. <laughs> Atlas to Human Connection. Well, that's how awesome. she described it. And, and I just think it's so true, right? I mean, yeah, it's getting to the why, yeah, really. Yeah. And... As leaders, you know, that's what we have to do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if, if people want to find out more about you or connect with you, what's a good way they can either reach out to you or listen to you? Do you have a podcast? Do you have a way to learn more? I don't have a podcast You yet. should. Um, you, you absolutely should. Have should. A podcast. It, it, it's, it's been in the works for a bit. But, um, you know, the easiest way is, is probably social media or, or my firm's website, Paul Jefferson. On Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook, um, you know I'm a cell phone and email person, so yeah. text or call me or you know send me an email and I'll respond. Um, I'm usually pretty pretty good about that. Um, and I, I I will also just say I love you know put meeting people and putting myself in weird and awkward situations that no one else would want to venture into. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and it's sometimes it's it's 
mutually awkward and sometimes it's just magic. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's awesome. That's an invitation to, to be part of that weirdness if you want. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome, man. Well, Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I, man, I just, I love talking with you, love hearing about, um, just your perspectives and your past and the experiences you've experienced. And so thank you so much for coming on today. Um, Pete, I don't know how to end this. No, no, you realized that I was like, I don't know what the hell well, I'm saying. Thank right you now. to both of you for, <laughs> I mean, I love working with Ridgeline. I love the culture that you're building. I love, you know, the people that kind of make it up and, and, you know, it's an honor to just work through some of that stuff as you move forward. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk and I appreciate that opportunity as well. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Well, that's all the time we've got for today. Thank you all for joining us this time on the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast. See you next time. Also, we'd like to thank our very own Luke Van Tress, a.k.a. Mr. Boxes, for our kick-ass original theme song.